Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor, and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I've had an interesting week again. My life seems to be filled with interesting weeks, and this one was really interesting. I'm just laughing because I'm standing in the paddock here. I've got the two cats who followed me down into the paddock because they tend to come along on walks with me, and the three horses are looking at me all bemused. I've also got my very sensitive headphones in, so you'll probably hear the birds tweeting and maybe the cats climbing over the fence and the horses eating grass that I've got. It's lovely. I love it down here. But one of the things I really want to talk about is the guilt and the grief that comes with motherhood. Isn't that terrible? So yesterday, I hang on, let me go back a few steps. Back in 2002, I did a personal development program called the Landmark Forum. And I've done a lot of Landmark Educations programs since then. I really like Landmark. It's always really worked for me. Some people don't like it and and it's each to their own. For me, it's always been really, really beneficial. And I have a friend that I talk to most mornings and she's done a lot of Landmark's work as well. So when we're talking, we tend to... One of the purposes of the conversations isn't to just pass time of day and have a gossip, which sounds really judgmental. I don't mean it like that. But one of the things we want to do is use each other's skills to move our lives forward and look at what's stopping us. And it started off being around money. We wanted to work on our money situations and what we thought about money, what we did with money and all the rest of it. And it's turned into a general personal development coaching call that we have some mornings it's not some mornings we just pass the time of day but a lot of the times we don't and what came up yesterday I realized yesterday there was an incident when I was about five years old and we moved house I've always been an avid reader and I was from being very young I was quite a precocious child I went to this new school and the teacher was told that I was advanced for my age in reading So the teacher got me to the front of the class and she asked me to read what was on the blackboard. She wasn't being mean or anything. She'd been told I was good at reading and so she asked me to read it. The problem was that I'd learned to read with the traditional alphabet, A, B, C, D, E. But this new school that I went to was running this, what do you call it, this trial program in teaching children how to read using a phonetic alphabet. So it didn't look like proper words. There was all this stuff written on the board and I couldn't read it. And I remember in that moment thinking two things. One, I don't understand. And the second thing was, this is terrifying. When I look at my whole life, I've spent my whole life living out those two things I've got to understand things that's the biggest thing I've tried to get across to the kids you've got to understand it you've got to understand other people you've got to understand why the rules are there you've got to understand what somebody's going to do next you've got to understand the situation my whole life has been about you've got to understand but the underlying experience of my life is I'm afraid the whole time And it's not just, I know we all get afraid and we're all scared of different things, but this is, there's a different experience to it. My friend and I were trying to have a conversation about it this morning and it's very difficult to put into words. But anybody that's met me or knows me 
would probably at some point describe me as being a scary person. And it's one of those nature nurture kind of questions because I think my personality basically is I like to try new things and I'm very curious about things and I'm also very forthright and blunt. That's my basic personality. Now, when you pile on top of that the fact that I've got to understand and that I'm scared all the time and my natural reaction, you know, the fight or flight thing is I fight. So if I'm scared, I get quite aggressive and angry. So I come across as this really scary person. When Ryan was in year 12, his cohort did like awards at their year 12 end of year thing and his cohort his, I can't say it. His cohort voted me as scariest mum, which is really fascinating. And I'm actually quite proud of it. I'm scariest mum. One of the reasons I'm quite proud of it, I've got to admit it, is that they also voted me best mum, which was like, ah, oh, okay. The boys all knew the rules when they came to my house and they knew that if they overstepped my rules, regardless of what the rules were in their house, then they'd pay the consequences. I was really gratified about that, but I've also felt the most powerful when I've stepped into being that scary person or how other people perceive me as being a scary person that really forthright and blunt and let's not beat around the bush here. This is what you're doing. And I actually, oh, that was the other thing. When I first did the Landmark Forum, which was back in 2002, it's a three-day program. And on the night of the second day, I had this nightmare where I was being chased by a tiger. I can't even think about this dream. It was so vivid and it stayed with me so much. I get really emotional when I'm talking about it and I still get the shakes. I was being chased by this tiger. And as usual in those dreams, no matter what you do, you cannot get away from this thing. And eventually the tiger caught me and it put its hand on my shoulder. And I say hand because when I turned round, the tiger was me. And the funny thing is, I recently had my hair dyed orange. And for the last several years, the clothes that I've worn are pretty much entirely orange and black. So as I've got to middle age and I've started to accept myself as who I am a little bit more, it's really interesting that I've headed towards tiger-like colours, which is really fascinating. And I actually wrote a post about it on my blog on Facebook yesterday and I found a photograph of a tiger. And when I posted the photograph and then I looked at it, I went, oh my God, the expression on the tiger's face is exactly the expression that appears on my face when somebody's done or said something stupid and I go, you did not just say that. Here we go. You want to find out what you did wrong? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. I've always looked forward to entering a new decade of my life because I kind of feel that I grow up a little bit more. So when I went from my teens to my 20s, oh, look, I'm a mature 20s girl now, well, into my 30s, right, okay, this is where I should actually start acting like a grown-up. And then when I'm 40, okay, this is when I start getting my life together and 50. I'm 57 at the moment, and I still don't feel that I'm anywhere near grown-up. I also don't feel that I've got anything like the self-acceptance that I see I'm just realising what I'm saying here, that I see 
other women my age might have or should have or are supposed to have. You know, when you get into your late 50s, you stop caring about what other people think and you start accepting yourself more for who you are. I'm in a mastermind group of women. It's an invitation only. It's a small group of women who, and the criteria for it is that you make or are in charge of seven figures a year in income. And I got invited by my former coach and mentor, which I found really surprising. I was really taken aback. And then I thought, oh, well, if she's invited me, there's obviously a reason for it. So I'm just going to suck it up and go because I do really enjoy being around people who are of not an entrepreneurial mindset. That's not quite what I'm looking for. An open mindset, a creative one, an expansive mindset, people who are willing to go out there and just try something because it's new, it sounds good, or they want to do it. Um, and they face their fears and do whatever they want. They're not willing to be stuck in the same old job, doing the same old thing and whinging about what they haven't got. They'll go out and try and get it. And that that again sounds really judgmental. I'm just talking here about what works for me. I can't do same old, same old every day. That's not who I am. It kills me having a routine and feeling, oh, I just feel stuck in a rut when I do that. I can't do that. I realize that's not for everybody, but for me, I want to be doing new things. I want to be trying new things. And that's my growth. That's where my growth lies in constantly doing new things and pushing the edge of the boundary and being in the space of, well, if anything's possible, what can I do next? So about the time I did the forum, John and I decided that we didn't want to be funny this. John and I decided that we didn't want to be in a job because we were never going to be financially free and do the things that we wanted to be able to have the holidays or go and live on a beach somewhere for three months. We wouldn't be able to do that while we had a job. We wanted something more and we also didn't want that confinement. It feels like a confinement to both of us about having a regular job and working for somebody else. So we started doing developments. We're both in the construction industry, so property developing or doing something in property just seemed like the way to go, and that was what we did. So we set off and we started doing the developments. All the time we've been doing the developments and doing the wealth creation and everything, we've had four children, and that has been my primary focus above anything else that we did was to bring up the kids and look after the kids. And if you haven't done so, go and listen to the podcast, the previous three podcasts to this, because <laughs> I had this bright idea a few weeks ago where I thought that I might ask the kids what they thought of their upbringing and my parenting style and what they did and didn't like and what I did wrong. So I put it out there to the three kids and then had a major meltdown because seriously, I've made so many mistakes in my parenting. But it was fascinating seeing what they thought and also the questions that they asked. Ryan and I, Ryan's my second son, we had a conversation about how I communicated to them as teenagers. How did I get through that teenage hormonal fuzz and communicate what I wanted them to know and what I thought was important to them and also hear them? Kira, 
who is my third child and my eldest daughter, she came armed with a list of questions. She put some serious thought into it and it was just fantastic because they were quite unexpected. The conversation that I was really dreading was the third conversation I had, which was with my eldest son. We haven't always seen eye to eye, I think probably because we're a lot alike in a lot of ways. And so I was really dreading what he'd say, but it was a fabulous conversation. He's done a master's degree in politics. He can ask the most insightful questions. He's very analytical and very, oh, how do I put it? He, uh, he wants to understand. <laughs> so his question was, what did I learn from each of the different children? And how did I change the way I parent to suit each child? What did I see was the most important thing for each different child to learn? They were fascinating questions. And for me, I don't know whether for Jamie, but for me, it really changed who he is for me because he was really kind and really thoughtful and he just dealt with it from a space of love. It was fantastic. So... Go and listen to those if you haven't. It was Ryan's was the first one, Kira's was the second one, and Jamie's was the third one. I've completely forgotten where I am now. That's right. So the kids were my priority as we were doing all the developments and everything. But my intention with the developments, if I think about it now, was never to get hands-on involved. John and I work well as a team, but we don't work well together. So as a team... I've got to be responsible for some things and he's got to be responsible for others because we work in completely different ways. It's always been about making the most of our personal skills and things that we're good at. I can't think of a better way of putting it than that. John is a brilliant project manager. He's absolutely brilliant. I kind of don't like that. What I'm really good at is finding the deals and then checking the deals out to see whether they're going to work. And then at some point during that process, John picks it up and runs with it. And then we go on to finish the deal. So when I got invited to be a part of this mastermind, I felt like a bit of a fraud because I haven't done any of the hands-on stuff. I've done a bit of work at the beginning and then I've left the rest to John and I've looked after the kids. And it just feels like I haven't done anything. When Jamie asked me the other day what I'd learned from raising Keely, who's the youngest one, I told him a story that I told my friend a couple of years ago where I feel like Keely's actually raised herself because I've had very little to do with it. She's the youngest of four and I've been parenting for nearly 26 years and I'm kind of over it. So most of the time I leave her to her own devices. Having said that, she is very self-disciplined and she knows if she does something, it's not going to go well for her. She can't live with herself because she really gets integrity. And if she gets caught, like she has done a couple of times, she just sucks up the consequences. So there was a, an incident about 12 months ago where she went to a party that she hadn't told me about and she got drunk. And I happened to come across the videos because they appeared on my iPad by mistake. And I... Yeah, she was 15 at the time and I was absolutely furious at being misled and being lied to. So I grounded her 
for the term. She's at boarding school. I grounded her for the rest of the term, which was eight weeks where she couldn't go out of the house. All she could do, she was allowed out of the house, out of the school grounds for an hour or two on a Saturday afternoon to go into town to buy whatever she wanted. Apart from that, no, don't ask to go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. And she didn't. She lived with the consequences. She was just in the space of, yep, fair enough. I knew if I got caught, I was going to pay for it. and, And I did. What I got out of the conversation with Jamie or in that conversation with Jamie was that, well, what if my parenting of Keely is just really easy because it's the fourth one? What if I actually don't need to put in the effort that I did when Jamie was little, when my eldest son was little, because I've already done it four times or three times before Keely and I'm used to it. So it becomes much more effortless. Like with swimming, you start swimming and it's really hard work, but it gets easier and easier and you have to go further and further to find it difficult. What if it's like that? I hadn't even considered that. I do know that if I don't find something difficult, if it's not hard work, I don't value it. And it's something that I've noticed in myself before and it's something that I really do want to work on because if I find it easy, it means that I'm good at it. Somebody said to me years ago, you know when somebody is really, really good at something because they make it look effortless. So maybe that's the key for me. That's the lesson to learn. Because I was talking to the lady that runs the mastermind group and I said, I feel like a complete fraud. I feel like I don't belong there because it's John who's going out to earn the money. It's John who brings in the money and, and everything. It's not me. And I've been doing stuff online for a few years and had zero success financially. I've had a lot of great reviews for the stuff that I've written and the stuff that, that I've got in the podcast, but I haven't earned any money from it. And my friend said, why is money the only measure of success? If you hadn't spent the time finding all those projects for John or businesses or whatever and doing the work into it and then handing them over to him, he wouldn't be able to do it because that's not what he's good at. What if this is actually a team effort and you are just totally not valuing yourself? Okay, had to break off because my neighbour decided to start mowing the lawns. So if the background noise sounds a bit different, that's because I've had to come inside. When I started to look at it, I thought to myself, why do I have to make money in my own right? Because that was what it was all about. That's been a big missing for me for a few years now. I've got to earn the money, not just rely on John. I've got to do it. And I haven't counted anything that I've done as counting towards the income that's coming in because it comes out of the part of the work that John does and not what I do. So I wanted to earn some money in my own right so I could prove my worth within the relationship and prove my worth as a human being. And then I thought, what is it I really want to do? What do I want out of the blog and the podcast and all the other stuff that I do online? And really, it is just solely to connect with people and to reach out to people and see if I can make a difference for somebody in some short way, even if it's just entertainment because they laugh at something that I've written or whether it's to go, oh, my God, I'm so glad somebody else feels that way about their kids because they can be really annoying sometimes, whatever it is, or whether it's somebody who's going through a similar kind of process in terms of pain management that I'm doing at the moment. 
I don't know, but that really is the purpose of what I'm doing. That's the drive behind what I'm doing. That's what drives me. What doesn't drive me is the money. I like having money. Do not get me wrong. I really enjoy it. And I like having a lot of it. But earning the money isn't, for me, a driver in and of itself like it is for a lot of people. And I've counted that as meaning that I don't belong in this mastermind group of entrepreneurial kind of people and that I can't count myself as somebody who is successful or anything else and I can't count myself as successful or anything else and then this morning I follow a lady on Facebook I actually can't remember her name but she has a blog called Muddy Mayhem and she's an eventer in the UK. So eventing is a horse riding discipline where you do dressage, show jumping and cross country. And that's what I love as well. I love that kind of thing. And I'm not very good at it, but I really enjoy doing it. I love hooning around a cross country course as long as the jumps aren't too big. I'm not that much of a of a brave heart. I'll just be a little bit of a coward when it comes to it because I've fallen off a lot of times. So I'll just keep the jumps quite small. Thank you very much. And this lady said somebody came up to her at a competition and said, don't you think that the clothes you're wearing make you look like an amateur? And she said, but I am an amateur. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. It's like we're caught up in this belief that we have to be the best at something or else it doesn't count. I'm caught up in that belief that I've got to be the best at it or else it doesn't count. And if you look at my life and the things that I get upset about and the things that depress me, that's what it's all about. If I'm not the best at something, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's the point of doing it? If my podcast isn't in the top 10 podcasts and it's not, then what's the point of doing it because I'm not succeeding? If I'm not earning $5,000 in an hour, which is what one of my friends did yesterday morning while she was still in bed, then, oh, you know, what's the point of me doing anything because I'm not succeeding at the level she is? But do I enjoy what I'm doing? Yeah, I do. I really enjoy writing the blog posts and I really enjoy doing guest posts and I really enjoy doing the podcasts and interviewing people and talking to people. I enjoy it. So why would I stop doing that? Because I'm not the best at it. And how do you measure success? I'm doing this because I enjoy doing it and I get a lot out of it. I am an amateur at this. I'm an amateur at blogging and building websites and everything else. I'm a complete amateur. And what would happen if I took out this need for success, this need to be number one or number five or top in my category or make it onto iTunes new and noteworthy? What would happen if I wasn't bothered about any of that, if I wasn't bothered about the numbers and the that follow me or the number of likes that I got on a post or the number of comments or the number of followers on Instagram. What would happen if I just gave all that up and I just did it because I want to, because I enjoy it? I have tried to do this in the past. This isn't the first time I've had this conversation. This is something that keeps cropping up. So it's obviously something that I need to learn and it's not being taken on board. It's one of the reasons, to be honest, that I stay off Instagram because they all look so blim perfect. I am not perfect by a long shot. You may find that difficult to believe, but I'm not perfect. And I don't want to be. It's exhausting. Oh, it's exhausting. And I can stop doing the whole measuring thing and just do something because I want to do it. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It would be great 
to hear what your thoughts blah, blah, blah. it would be great to hear your thoughts on this so message me or comment or do whatever because i'd love to hear from you thanks for listening For listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Don't forget that all the links and information that we've spoken about in this podcast is available on the podcast page of my website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next time. Bye for now.